0: We all have times with our kids where we look at them and think, gosh, I'm worried about him. And so I could post every single, you know, oh, this is so great, but it's hard. Life is hard. Coming home from prison was hard. It. So I I guess what I would say is our struggles that connect us, not our perfection. Yeah. So being open and willing to be vulnerable yourself, I just pray for my neighbors and I pray to care and know and, and to be. Courageous enough to be totally honest, you know, to t- I talk about my experiences. When I get up and bear my testimony, I was asked to talk in state conference. I'm just super real about it. And people seem to be grateful for that.
1: Before we start today's episode, I want to take a quick moment and tell all of you who listen to the Cultural Hall uh, a big thank you. Seriously, uh, as I look back on the various episodes of this year and how... Um, I've been able to not only interview some amazing people and be able to talk about some amazing news stories that's happened within the church, uh, also to be able to become friends with a lot of you, some of you who are part of that cultural hallback row, some of you who are Patreon saints, but some of you just who have reached out either in email or in giving a review of the show um, or just have commented on something on social media and then we've got the opportunity to get to know each other. It's pretty cool. It's not... um, it's not missed on me. It's not something that I take for granted. I try really hard to, to, to uh, take that moment for anyone who would reach out, and and so I appreciate it. I hope that everyone is having a, a safe and happy holiday season. Um, that if you're struggling, you know that you are worth it. That you are worthwhile. And that lots of people love you more than you could ever know, especially your heavenly Father. And and I'm just uh, I'm overwhelmed with. With uh, the gratitude for what the cultural hall is, what it's become, for the uh, the opportunity to do this weekend and week out, and so, um, for, from me to all of you, and uh, this time and then this season, I just want to say I'm really grateful. I hope you have a, a merry Christmas and a happy new year, and that you'll continue to join us uh, through the next year. We got some pretty cool things coming, and and so uh, I appreciate it. Let's do this episode.
2: Give us line, if they live righteously.
1: It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, episode number 564, to be precise. Uh, And I'm excited to have this conversation today uh, with a good friend of mine, Portia Lauder. Now, if you hearken back to earlier this year, episode 491, we talked with uh, Jim Dunnigan, who is not only a state representative, but also he is a branch president of uh, one of the the, uh, jail wards. And so he gave us sort of an insight as to what it might look like uh, for those that are serving time here in the state of Utah in one of our jails and what the church uh, offers uh, as far as services go to those folks. Well, maybe, maybe I'm thinking we might get to the other side of that today with our guest, Portia. Thanks for being here.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, I I, uh, I hesitate in introducing you as, like, the prison lady because there is so much <laughs> more to you than all that, right? But but you have, in fact, been to prison. So before we, we go there, let's talk about, like, upbringing. Growing up, what was that like?
0: Okay. Yeah, I grew up in a small town here in Utah in Richfield. I am so
1: real small for people who don't know that Richfield it's it, it's like everyone has the same last name kind of kind of small kind of. town. Yeah, yeah, it was
0: a small town. Um I am the oldest of seven children. My grandfather and my great-grandfather and all of my family were photographers. So well, That's cool. Yeah, it is cool. I have a in Cedar City there's a museum that has some of the work that my great-grandfather did. So so that was my, um, I guess, legacy growing up. My grandpa went into all the schools and took pictures and they called him the chicken man. And he's just, he was, he'd hit you with the chicken and take your picture. So, um, wait, is that real? It's real. Like yeah. a rubber chicken? Like you yeah. won't smile? Oh my gosh. I love say that. Say chicken. Uh, and then yeah. <laughs> so okay. that is, that is what it was. But, um, I would say my childhood, when I hit about 13, I started struggling, um, my parents were pretty non-traditional. I was raised a member of the church. We um, my my family's not active now, but we weren't I don't know how you define active, but we had our problems like all families do. Sure. Sure. And
1: So my, normal, that's how I define <laughs> we that. We were
0: normal. <laughs> but as I became a teenager, I really struggled and now talk to me about struggling because I think everybody <laughs> that listens
1: to that is like yeah as a teenager I struggled yeah. too I didn't I <laughs> couldn't figure out if I was the cool yeah. kid or the nerdy kid or right. you know going to school was tough like is it that kind of stuff or are you saying like struggling more than that
0: struggling more than that okay yeah um so my mom one of the benefits of um growing up the way I did my mom was very creative she was um she went to miss Utah she wrote plays and road shows back in the road show days and but she didn't believe in any structure. So very non-conforming. Like if it was, I mean, she was like, before it was a thing to be an anti-vaxxer, she was like, no immunizations, no very healthy eating. Mm-hmm. We lived on the outskirts of a, of Richfield, so even smaller. And we played a lot. There were, you know, seven kids. We played a lot. But we just went to bed when we want. We woke up when we want. We did what we wanted. And, and when I hit the 12 and 13 range, um, all of my siblings wanted to, didn't want to go to school. So she just let him not go to school. Okay, But I wanted to continue going. And I liked the social aspect of school, but I struggled with the structure part of it. And I just started getting into relationships. That was my first challenge was the attention of boys, you know? Mm. So I would say that. And then by the time I was 15, I started drinking and doing those types of things and, um, got pregnant young. I was 17 when I had my first child and, um, and then had another child. And then my parents moved to Salt Lake. And honestly, at that point, I saw it as maybe my ticket to have a different life. I wasn't, um, I was single, I was a Mm -hmm. single mom, I was living in low income um, housing, and I wanted something different, but I just didn't really know how to get out of it. And so I moved up here with my parents. um, And then I started working as a photographer at one of the little malls, my uncle owned a studio there. And and that was the first time that I knew I could do something other than have children. Hmm. I just didn't really know, you know, the thought of going to college that seemed overwhelming to me. I wasn't that good at the structure of school, and but I liked taking pictures. It helped me feel a little better about myself, and I wanted um, I wanted to get married and settle down and give my children, you know, a better life. And it didn't just, uh, it wasn't an easy transition for me. There were, I ended up addicted to prescription drugs. I got involved. That really brought me to a bottom, a mm-hmm. place of, of seeking help. And I went to an LDS bishop. I hadn't been active since I was 12 or 13, but I reached out for help. And I got involved in the LDS 12-step program, and it really changed my life. And I was able to, um, it took me about a year. To start feeling better and to look – I really looked inside myself and found some freedom and understood more about living a principle-centered life at that point and met my husband. And we are glossing over years (laughs) quick here. We we are traveling through time. Well, there's a lot of life. I didn't know if you want to go to the prison bar or if you want to – you
1: know, because there's a lot there, but – uh, I, I guess I do have a couple pickup questions. So, uh, being a um, a teenage mom, teenage single mom, right. I have no idea what that is like. Yeah. What 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 is that experience like? Especially going from small town where I would think it's yeah, you know, stigmatized in its own right, and then moving into the big city. What is all that like?
0: You know, that's such a good question, and I think I didn't really have the time until later in my life to look back at it and say, wow. <laughs> that was super hard, you know, and recognize the strength it took. And it also gave me a lot of compassion. Um, I work in, in treatment and I'm able to help other women that are trying to find hope mm-hmm. because you feel quite hopeless. You know, I did. I kept thinking, I need somebody to fix me. I need, mm. you know, I need a man to solve this problem for me. And I didn't think, oh, education or, oh, I have it within me or fix me and I will, the rest of the world will, you know, everything else will be OK if I get right. I, I see at this point in my life, after the experiences that I've had, that the best thing I can do for my children and my family is to be firm in my own foundation as a woman. Oh. But I didn't know that then. And I just didn't value myself. And I, I see women um, walk through that. And it just hurts my soul because I'm like, you have so much. You're so amazing. You know, you could do anything you want to do. And your children will be so blessed if you do but yet the majority of women I meet in that situation, including myself, were looking for a man or a, a relationship or something outside themselves to solve this problem. How do
1: you uh, how do you help those individuals? Because I think that probably, you know, your heart hurts for them a little bit or you just want to grab them by their shoulders and be <laughs> like, listen, you don't understand. But I'm sure that those individuals have people in their lives that are saying, you know, you're worth more than this. Oh, yeah, you know, all of those matter. things that you just <laughs> Yeah. And it just falls on deaf ears. So yeah. if someone is listening to that and feeling those same things, like what do you say to them that actually breaks through those walls that they've or others have built up?
0: I think the most important thing that I can do when I look at at someone, I pray a lot to be able to recognize the value and potential and talent that a person has in that situation. So like you said, I work at a treatment center and when the women come in, they're pretty broken. Mm -hmm. And I I pray for them. I sit outside their room and I pray for them, but I also, I look at them and when they're really struggling to see their worth, I tell them how amazing they are. I mm-hmm. say, this moment is not, doesn't define you. You can't see who you're going to be in, in a week, in two weeks, and in a year from now, you're going to be lit up because it's possible that yeah. they can change them and that will change their whole outlook, their whole life. So I I see the best in them I do and because I've been through it I can say, you know you're not you don't know how good life can get I just want to wrap my arms around them and say it's gonna get so good it's not gonna be easy it's gonna be hard but you have so much to fight for your future self is fighting for you it depends on what you do today you know
1: what do you think it was that led you to I mean you mentioned your years of inactivity to go to that bishop in that time where it's like I don't know let's yeah get, let's go here
0: you know. That's a good question. I think prayers, you know, my grandmother put my name in the temple for, I don't know how many years. <laughs> that woman. Yeah. No. Um, I think that I think that you just have to keep praying for those that are inactive. You just have to, and you have to believe. For me, I knew I knew deep down what was right. I would deny it. I would fight it. I would talk negative about the church and everything else, those people, you know. Mm-hmm. But when I was really at my lowest, I knew where to turn. Mm. And so I, other than just praying for people. At that point, my parents had tried everything. And my dad told me. Um, I went into his room and I said, Dad, I'm so scared. I'm at a place where I can't, you know, my addiction was severe. And I felt like I had lost everything. I just felt very low. And he said, you know what, Portia, I have given up. He's like, I, he said, I've given up. He's like, I don't know what it's going to take for you. You have these beautiful children and you have so much potential, but you might die. Hmm. I just don't know. You're going to have to decide. And it was like, there wasn't anywhere else to go. And sometimes that's what you have to do is just say, I love you. But if I lose you... Then that's I can't control it. And my dad's a really controlling guy. He was in the military. He's like, I can do this. Yeah, I can fix it. I can. There's, <laughs> yeah. a, there's a way. There's a plan. <laughs> right. His surrender was such a blessing to me. I've told him, you know, he was going through his own stuff. and He's like, I got to work on me. And, and I want you to succeed and I can tell you what works for me, you know, simple steps in the right direction, but you're going to have to figure this out. And that was the best thing he could do for me. People will
1: describe that as like a rock bottom or a desperation point. Is that what that was for you?
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it
1: was. So so then as we catch back up to life uh, <laughs> at the point that you meet your husband, let's go there.
0: OK, yeah. Um, oh, that's sacred. <laughs> Chad is such a special person. I think I met him in the preexistence and then we got acquainted here, you know, Chad sees the best in me and always has. And it really brings out the best in me. And it's such a beautiful thing, our relationship. But um, through my, uh, he saw me at, uh, he knew me before I got it together. And thought, she's an amazing woman, but I don't know if she'll ever figure that out. Huh. Huh. <laughs> and when I did figure it out, like you say, when you get yourself firm, good things start to happen. And um, I could, there's some things in the book that we're kind of glossing over, and we'll talk about it later if we need to. But but the bottom line is, um, I got sober, and I turned to my Heavenly Father, and I became a pretty good mom. And it was like the coolest accomplishment ever. I, I remember being six months sober and going to a, on a field trip with my kid. Mm. And I was sitting at the zoo, looking at all these other moms thinking, do you have any idea how special this is for me? Like, I'm here doing this. I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was amazing. And I looked around at all the animals and everything. And I thought, if God did this, he can do, he can solve my problems. He can help me. And and so I just continued on that journey, and my husband noticed, and we started, you know, spending time together. And eventually we were able to—we um, got married, and then we went to the temple. And uh, and it was just, like, so different. I remember thinking every day how grateful I was for the beauty of my life. It was like the stuff a single mom like me dreams about, to huh. have that. And, and we were blessed, and I wish I would have just stayed humble. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. But—but—but— yeah. uh, but, but, it's always been our marriage has has been a strength to me, despite the mistakes that I continue to make. And some of the bigger ones, he's been my he's been a strength to me. So
1: Yeah. And I'm sure that we'll get into that a little bit more uh, here in a bit. I, I want to talk about the addiction recovery program. I know that people are aware of it. Mm-hmm. I know that um, in some ways it's sort of patterned after or parallels the just traditional 12 step program that yes. exists. Uh what kind of value do you think it is for people that, that are struggling with whatever kind of addiction, those people that maybe listen to this that are hesitant to to yeah. commit to something like that?
0: It is the one of the best things that ever happened to me. For some reason, I didn't really, even growing up, and maybe it was the nonconformity of my youth, but I didn't feel that comfortable in church. Huh. I mean, I just tried and... Living in a small town, you know, there's a lot of sweet girls, but all of them kind of seemed the same to me. And I felt different. Mm-hmm. Just didn't feel like I fit in. And and from a young age, like eight or nine years old. And then, you know, when I hit 12 or 13, I'm like, you're all sitting together and I'm over here. I dress different than you. Like, it was yeah. just not the same. And, and so... When I went to the addiction, so I had a bishop, my bishop that was like my sponsor trying to help me, really guided me. First, he said, I'm really worried for you. You're kind of the most selfish person I've ever met. Wow! wow. <laughs> yeah, because he asked me, he's like, why do you think you have all these problems? And I said, oh, I know it's my mom. And he's looking at me going, what? You're yeah. going to blame her, you know? Yeah. And, and then the moment came where I called him and said, I figured out why I have all these problems. And he goes, why? And I said, because I chose to do the things I did, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Whoa, this yeah. is such progress, you yeah. know." <laughs>
1: he's like, "Hello, hello, who is yeah. this?" Yes, he's who like, "There's this? hope for who you." Who is
0: this? Come on. <laughs> I was like, "It was my choice. It wasn't her fault. It's my choice." But anyway, he um, he sent me to an AA meeting with a friend.
1: Just a regular regular AA.
0: AA. Okay. He what? Okay. You know, this was. 25 years ago when the LDS uh, support group meetings were very small. Mm -hmm. And so I went to that meeting and the guy let me have it. He's like, you're a mess. You need to sit here and listen to other people and figure Mm -hmm. out if you want to be a decent mom. Because I was just, you know, and he's like, I don't feel sorry for you. You made all those choices. He's like, if you want to get better, you better sit here and listen and learn something. And it was exactly what I needed. So, And then he invited me to, he said, we have these meetings and I would recommend that you go four or five days a week if you want to get better. Wow. And so I went and there were only three of us in the room. And I, I said to one of the, the leaders, I think he was called on a mission to do this work. And he said, I said, my life is so awful. I've hurt my kids. I've done so many things wrong. And he said, I promise you with priesthood power and authority, that if you go to church and you read your scriptures and you come to meetings, your whole life will change. Hmm. And and I believed him. I remember thinking, I don't trust any of my own thoughts. So what these, you know, these guys, they could share my story. They could share these struggles that I had, and I could relate in a very real way. And it, And they would ask me to pray, and I was able to talk about my Savior in a way that was different because it was so personal. It's like, I did this, but the Lord can help me through it. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to church, I went because they told me if I did, I didn't feel comfortable for the longest time. I mean, sure. it took about a year. Yeah, <laughs> And I read my scriptures, even though everything I read s- seemed to say, you're going to hell, Portia. Like, that's <laughs> how it felt, you know? But I but I did, and my life just changed. And those meetings were so fundamental, and still are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I go to downtown Salt Lake, like homeless square AA meetings. And I take girls that are really struggling. I say, okay, we're going to walk in here and hear some miracles today. Mm. Because if these people can do it, you can do it. So we're, you know, so that to me is the essence of, it's where you find the most beautiful parts of the atonement is in these meetings where people are really struggling and need hope. And we help each other through it. And I, I just love the program it's important.
1: Some people will talk about addictions and talk about it being sort of nurture fed in that, you know, there's something missing within your life. And other people will talk uh, about addictions as um, a way to cope with like mental illness. Yeah. As far as you navigating those things, have you been able to identify it as a little column A, a little column B?
0: Well, I mean, I can look at my family and say, you know, my mom struggles with mental illness. Two of my siblings severely struggle with mental illness. Maybe it was you know, I don't know. But what I do know, and there are people that that certainly struggle with mental illness and addiction is a coping mechanism for mm-hmm. them, maybe. But for me, what I know is I try to focus on the solution right? because whether you're struggling with mental illness, pornography, whatever it is, there's a place, there's a way to get support and help. Yeah. Most of it has to come from your own desire and willingness to, to humble yourself and walk in and ask for help. Yeah. And, I believe in the miracle. I, I believe anybody can feel that transformation in their life and experience it. For me, I don't take any um, psych meds or anything like that. And that's just what works for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe I was born an addict. I don't know. But my whole life changed when I opened my soul and got honest. It Mm. really did. So whatever I was prior to even using a prescription drug, I wouldn't trade that person for the person that I became Mm. through my experiences. Mm. So
1: Powerful. Let's take a break. We come back in the second block. Uh, We'll pick up the story. We've met Chad, the amazing husband, (laughs) and we'll uh, pick up the story there that's coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. I want to take a brief moment and tell you about best DJ in Utah. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Who is that? Me. It's also three other guys that I have hired to work for me. Why? Because business has been so great. Uh, we've been able to help a lot of couples as they've been celebrating their weddings. Been able to do a lot of uh, holiday parties, uh, birthday parties. Being able to just to do community events as well. We do travel, so I know you're thinking, well, listen, I live in Nevada. I live in Idaho. I've even gone so. So far as Louisiana. I've been down to Texas. I've been up to Washington. Uh, all of the places certainly is possible to be able to play music in. Obviously, you just need to get there. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Let's start the conversation about it. You're getting married. You're thinking about getting married. You'd like to get married. Whatever the thing may be,
2: bestdjinutah.com When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit Lennondesign.com.
1: Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, take an opportunity. You only have a little more than a week left uh, to be able to be a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall and be able to buy into that year-long, what, subscription, uh, membership? The, yeah, we're saving you 10% if you do it before the end of 2021. You can go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. And thanks to those of you that have recently done that. It's a great group of people. You get to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group uh, where we talk about all the different episodes and share our favorite nuggets as well as other tangential things. Portia, what's so great about Chad? Let's get on with this a little bit more. So. <laughs> Was he hesitant at all? I mean, seeing certainly where you had yeah. been. I I mean, for me, like the romantic story is like he knew from the beginning and yeah. that I would be there.
0: But, yeah. no. but maybe
1: some hesitancy. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, he was scared. I asked him, what scares you the most about me? And he said everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: I, I love you. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: well, he ended up adopting the kids and raising them as his own. Wow. So, I mean, I wasn't getting child support at the time. So that was a financial Fear, you know, he just graduated college and he's like, whoa, I'm taking on a family. Yeah. I mean, we are dating more now than we did when we, you know, <laughs> met because our kids are older. But yeah, so he walked into an already made family and then, um,
1: which, just for the record, as a guy who did that himself, I did that in my first marriage. Mm-hmm. Like, that in and of itself, like, let's take out all the other things yeah. that we've talked about Makes already. a hero
0: already, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: that is, that is tremendously hard. And it then is. kind of putting in this other stuff for sure.
0: Yeah, it's hard. So, I mean, that happened. And then um, he knew about my addiction. Um, it scared him. And he told me, basically, that he, that was like a no-go for him. He's hmm. like, you know, I believe in you. But I also care enough about myself that if, yeah. you know, so, and I I had some sobriety, but he's like, well, I mean, he just didn't know if he was going to stick around if, if it became a problem. Um, How important was that boundary for you? It was really important. However, I did relapse at some point. But oh. I mean, it was really important for me because... Um, I just needed to know. I think that's always an important boundary to just let people know. I love you, but this is something that I don't want in my life. It yeah. brings darkness into my life and I won't allow it. So um, that was important. Uh, Chad is a really humble man. I think that's what makes him amazing. He doesn't need any recognition for anything. I'll never ask for it. He truly sees the best in others. He's non-judgmental, and... Um, he's just, he's kind. I had a bishop, the bishop that was helping me, he said, just so you know, um, your husband is a man without guile. And wow. I haven't met very many of them. He said, he's a pretty special person. And it's true. He is. He's, yeah. You
1: know. So you teed it up a little bit. Maybe we go to relapsing. How's yeah. that? That that sounds.
0: Oh, it, it's, <laughs> it's, um, you know, I had four and a half years of sobriety and I was active in the LDS 12-step program and supported and loved, and I started building a photography business that grew so fast. Um, well, it's
1: the chicken. When you start to bring the chicken into it. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: yeah. You know what, all of my friends, my friends that listen to this, I haven't so post a picture of my grandpa with the chicken because I still, he's so famous for that. That's like, oh yeah, people in Utah that are listening to this will go, oh, the chicken man's her grandpa? Yeah. Yeah. Because he took pictures all over with that chicken. But anyway, um, yeah, I think that, you know, the relapse came... I, as I've been able to look back at my life, I, I recognize that I lost some of the humility that I had. My business went from, I think, 20 weddings to 60 to 100 to 200 weddings a year. Wow. Yeah. So it's just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And I'm we're living in a small home. Um, I got pregnant with our first son together, and I was working like a maniac, probably 15, 16 hours a day, plus my kids are in elementary school. So I'm trying to, I mean, I'm working through the night, trying to be there for the kids too, mm-hmm. and- when I got pregnant, I was pretty sick through the pregnancy, continued to work. Uh, right after I had him, I went back to work. And then I injured my back and had a back surgery. Mm. And I relapsed. I mean, I just kept using the pills. And it scared me. And I went to back to meetings because I had gotten too busy to go to meetings sure. like I was. And But the truth is I just didn't get very honest with myself about how big the problem was. So I would get a few months you know, sober. Then I found out I was pregnant again, which was a surprise. And we were building a home with a studio in it. We were just so active. We had so much going on. And as soon as I had her, I, the relapse came pretty hard for me. Mm. And uh, so I have two little kids. I hired a nanny. We built a new home. We had a studio in the basement. I have employees that are down there working. I'm working from sunup to sundown. And looking back, I would have... <laughs> been a lot better off to choose balance and to back off a little bit from being so busy and, and work on myself. But I didn't do that. I got involved in real estate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to solve this problem, yeah. you know? Oh,
1: I'll work harder. <laughs> harder. That's clearly the issue. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. So, so what, what
1: what's that like? Is it a, a purely a financial move? Because yeah. photography to real estate, I mean, it's yes. exponential the amount of money you can make.
0: Yeah. Well, I worked really hard to make money. I was making I had a pretty good income with as a photographer and I think what it was like was you know the whole market was going crazy
1: mm-hmm. I mean give we, me an idea what year are we talking about right now um,
0: it's about 2005 okay so 8 is the crash 2008 sure. the crash but in 2005 we built a home in Highland and our lot doubled in value in 6 months wow yeah it went from 75 to 150,000 and I was like I'm getting in yeah. you know all yeah. my neighbors are building spec homes I'm going to build spec homes it started like that and then I was like, well, I'm just going to flip lots. And so I started flipping lots and I was making money doing it. Mm-hmm. But I had, an, uh, you know, my addiction, I'm still using prescription drugs and I still have a lot going on with my business and other things. And and the, yeah, it was, it was a lot. And when I was, um, I met with someone to buy a lot and he introduced me to what they call equity deals, where you buy a home and borrow more money against it than what you pay for it. And I didn't even know what that was, but he explained it to me. And at first I said, he's crazy. Why would I ever borrow more money, you know, then you're going into debt? And it just didn't add up. I mean, I'm sitting here trying to use the whatever cash I have and the equity in our home to try to buy more houses or flip lots. Mm-hmm. And and this, but it, it just became more enticing. I had a lot of weight on my shoulders. I mean, I had these lots under contract and I'm paying payments on those. I just had a lot going on. And to make like two or $300,000 flipping a house an equity deal, um, I got involved. And I mean, they were advertising it on the radio. And you know, it didn't seem illegal to me. I wasn't doing anything with loans. Um, as I continued to get involved, I knew, I remember my heart telling me not to do it. I knew there was a, you know, your conscience just doesn't It's not like you just do these things without knowing. Mm -hmm. I knew. Mm -hmm. And to stay away and not do it, and I did it anyway. And I really regret that. I regret a lot of things, but the fact that I didn't listen, um, that I had a good life, you know, that I had worked really hard. I didn't think it was illegal when I started, but I knew inside that it was definitely not the right thing to do.
1: And So. so it is, in fact, illegal. Um, or some portion of it because, yeah, because I went to prison. (laughs) Yeah. You go to prison. They don't just are like, listen, that was a bad deal. You should have made more money. Come on in. Right.
0: Um, yeah. So basically the, what they are is you may buy a home for a million dollars and it appraises for $2 million and the bank gives you a loan for a million five. So you've now borrowed half a million dollars more than what you paid for the house. Uh And, um, The way that the government defined it is, you know, it's equity skimming and when the market crashed, the bank took a hit. And so... The question is, if it's illegal, you know, then obviously the appraiser and the bank and everybody involved did something wrong, right?
1: Sure, complicit. Right,
0: they're complicit. But that's not how the indictment went. The indictment went Porsche Louder. Mm. (laughs) And so that was hard to accept. But the reality of it is it doesn't matter what other people did. What I did, I was involved in a conspiracy that was illegal. So, yes. Mm
1: -hmm. Wow. Okay. So so you're doing it for a little while and it's probably going... Real well, even though it sounds like it, it, it like even just trying to wrap my, hand, my head so around risky, everything that so you've stressful. got going on. So
0: stressful. Yeah. Um, I did it for a little while and I had stars in my eyes and I thought, I'm going to pay off our house and then I'm going to quit working as a photographer. And I had all these, you know, mm-hmm. master plans. And um, it wasn't that long before they started investigating me. Mm. So I think the FBI showed up in nine oh seven. Um, I wasn't indicted until 2010, so that was a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it sucks to have the FBI show up at your house, just so you know. It's <laughs> that, not fun.
1: Really interesting. Yeah, it was. I was. That, that was actually on my bucket list, but I'll go ahead and mark <laughs> that off. Don't have the
0: FBI show up at my house. Yeah, for any no. reason. No. no. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. no fun. And then I. Um... So
1: indicted an in FBI makes me think federal court.
0: It was federal, yeah. Yeah. There yeah. you go. <laughs>
1: If you're going to, listen, if you're going to do it, go big, right?
0: No, no. no. Okay, well, I no. don't know. You know, all I know is that um, at some point things, I continued to make poor decisions. And at some point I figured out that I had to stop, you ah. know, and and that was probably when I walked into a courtroom and the denial slipped away and the reality of my situation became real and uh, my heart broke, you know, mm. when I kind of figured out that, uh... You have not just done this to you but you have dragged your husband and your children when I turned around and saw them and I'm like what have I done? Mm. How could I got, have you know the reality of that just set in and I remember listening to the prosecutor and the judge talk about me and I thought they're not talking about me, yeah, are who they? Who is that
1: they're talking about?
0: <laughs> That's not me. It was just such a surreal experience. It was um it was shocking and it was painful and and I felt very alone. Oh, it was hard. And um and then my life changed. You know, I didn't see the world different. I saw it different after that. I didn't see it the same. And my husband, um, I had a pretty special experience in the courtroom where he stood up and asked the judge to grant me some compassion and give me a little time to say goodbye to my kids. He was going to lock me up that day. And mm. and Chad, I thought, why did I pay lawyers? They didn't get that done, you know, but the judge listened to him. And And then we spent eight weeks together before Chad drove me to Dublin, California to walk into a federal prison. Wow, yeah, life changing. So in
1: the eight weeks, that would be hard because that that is like a that is a date on a calendar that you're yeah. like, well, mom loves you, but also so knowing hard. that that's
0: so hard. Like, so what do hard. You,
1: what do you feel fill those eight weeks with?
0: Um, the only thing that matters, just those little moments with your kids, not one not one financial thing matters, not mm. one all the things my whole perspective changed. I, I would watch my kids sleep. I was grateful when I could clean the house. Mm-hmm. Just anything you can do for your family. It's it's uh it's a life-changing experience to know, you know. And actually I was really fortunate to get that time because a lot of people don't. Yeah. I wouldn't you know? I wouldn't figure as much. Yeah. I was really fortunate, but it was also hard. We've talked about it as a family and it was hard for my kids. It was hard for all of us. I'm grateful that we got that time, but this is no easy thing to go through. Yeah. You know. We're still healing as a family. So
1: So he drives you? Does he or is it a family? And no. I don't mean to make light of any no, it of wasn't this, family. but I just wonder like what no. the scenario is like. It was Chad and I. Um,
0: okay. Yeah, I said goodbye to my kids. That was definitely on the list of hardest things you should never have to do as a mother, and I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> um, yeah. and then um Chad and I drove to Dublin, California. And I remember I had extra time that morning, and I said I gotta go. You know, he we're having breakfast, and he's and he's pretty emotional, and I'm like, I gotta go. Like I just need to get in there and get started, you know. And then as soon as I got in there, I thought, why? You know, over and over, I kept thinking I had another hour to spend with him. Why would I do this? But um, definitely, the first week or two was just a complete shock and completely devastating and overwhelming, and seemed like. Impossible. It just seemed impossible.
1: What was your sentence? Seven years. Seven years.
0: Yeah, I was sentenced to eighty-four months. That was the maximum that he could give me. <laughs> so it was, Jeez. it was just shocking. A, yeah. It,
1: yeah. So here I'm. I'm sitting thinking. You know, we're six months. We're twelve months. Eighteen months. No, no. eighty-four months. Okay. All right. <laughs> so long. he's so he's driving, and and if I understand the, you know the justice system well enough, that you're sentenced that long, but the likelihood that you'd actually serve. That full duration is not very likely.
0: Um, It depends. Federal prison, you serve 85% of your time. Okay. So I did 85%. I got a year off because I did a treatment program. And then the other 15% is good time. So if you make mistakes while you're in prison, they click that away. Uh I actually ended up serving, um, well, I did a little bit of counting time too, but it was close to five years. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. A long time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So 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 now as we kind of clear and try and figure out what what is that like knowing that as he's dropping you off there in Dublin, California, hey, love you, see you in
0: <laughs> Yeah. 5 to 7. We didn't um it took a half my sentence to accept that. Like hmm. I just the first year was in complete denial about it. I had lawyers fighting and trying to change things. That's the way the Most people do their time in prison. Is oh, I'll never do this time. Yeah, yeah. There's a judge out there. God is good. He won't let me do this time. Like there's, there's a way. I'm gonna write a letter to my judge. I'm like pretty sure that he's the guy that sentenced you. (laughs) 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 I didn't write any letters to my judge. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So yeah, um, it's really painful. Um, It's shocking. It's you know when I first got there, it took me days to walk out of the cell, Mm. and then. When I did, it's like everyone's wearing the same color. You're in a cement world. You're. It's cold. It's not, no, you know, nobody's like, how you doing? I sat down on a, a chair next to a woman named Bubbles, and I just cried. I just sat and cried and looked out the window. And she just, <laughs> I say, she was really good at watching TV. Like, that's what she was good at. Yeah. <laughs> she could do it for days on end. She'd look over at me, and she'd go, it's okay, baby. You're going to be okay. You huh. Just keep breathing. You'll be okay. And I and I did that for a day or two, where I just didn't. I just walk in and sit down and just cry, you know. And then I decided it was time to to do something. And so I walked over to the track and I walked around the track, and it was just this old, rocky with a big barbed wire fence. And I said, just said out loud to myself, "Portia, you have to get it together. Yeah. This isn't helping you. Quit feeling sorry for yourself." You have a family who loves you. You have to do this. You have to make the best of this. This might be the most important thing you'll ever do in your life. And I I had um I had a therapist before I went to prison. It was court ordered that I talk to somebody about being sentenced. Mm-hmm. Now I can see why cuz it's kind of a big thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But at the time I said to the therapist, "I can't accept or understand how I could go to prison." I couldn't imagine even going for a year you want me to talk about a seven-year sentence because that was my guideline range the order seven years and i said i can't go to prison for yeah. seven years there's no reason to talk about that <laughs> yeah. and he's like it would be difficult but there are worse things he said if you were to stay home and stay in your addiction and stay disconnected from your children and family that would be worse he said if you go to prison You could still become an amazing person in prison, but you can't do that in addiction. Mm. And it really, when he said it, it didn't mean anything, but it meant a lot to me when I walked around the track because I needed something to hold on to. And I thought, I have the power to become an amazing person. You know, I can, there's something I can do. And I, I went back to my room and that was my first list and I made lots of them. But my first list was how to become an amazing person while I'm in prison. And I, I wrote out all the things, you know, get up early, you know, pray, read my scriptures, but the kind of books that I wanted to read. And I started seeing it as like, this is my college education, you know, and I made mm-hmm. lists and lists and I studied and I, you know, I basically did the things I didn't do when I was 17, 18, 19, and those types of things. And um, and I wrote a letter to Chad and I said, it's devastating. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, but I'm not going to quit. I'm going to make the best of this. And I'm so grateful for you and our children. And, What can I do to support you? And we just started the journey of of change, you know, and Hmm. so Hmm.
1: I want to take another break. When we come back, I want to uh, cue up the discussion of maybe some lessons learned from (laughs) prison and then you're out. Obviously, I'm not doing this from a prison. So I want to know what that experience was like. We'll come back and do that in the third block
2: of the cultural hall. (laughs) Ho ho ho! This is Santa Claus from PC Laptops in Salt Lake City. Would you like to save huge, massive money this holiday season? Don't throw out that old computer. We can transform that old, slow or broken down desktop or laptop into fluffy, high-speed goodness. No matter what brand it is, just bring your desktop or laptop computer in for a free diagnostic. The diagnostic is 100% free, and there's no obligation. We're so great at making computers faster that if we can't fix or upgrade your desktop or laptop, we'll buy it from you. Have I lost my mind? Want to trade in your old computer? We have brand new lifetime warranty desktop computers from $29 a month and we'll buy your old computer. To make it impossible to resist, we're doing 12 months special financing on any PC laptops, desktop or laptop computer. Have I lost my mind? Call us at one 596 7283 for details or check us out at pclaptops.com. That's pclaptops.com where we love
1: you. Here in the third block of the cultural hall uh, remember you can always email us contact at the if you love this episode and I know you do you can send an email that says I love Portia she's great here's what stuck out to me about that or any other episode that you listen to it's contact at the or if you know great guests that might further other conversations in the future contact at the Portia what lessons maybe maybe let's go three give me three lessons that you learned from your time in prison
0: okay three lessons i learned that freedom and power come through total responsibility tell me what you mean i mean that when you completely own your life when you take complete responsibility for the choices that you made and you recognize i am here because the choices i made or because of the way i responded to what was happening to me which was still your choice Mm -hmm. everything in my life um was a result of my choices and how I responded to those things. And now I can choose something different. So I think complete ownership, I learned the power in complete ownership and was able and also learned that you can rewrite your story. You know, you get to decide the ending of your life. Like And I think being in such a simple environment taught me that I was able to see these principles in such a clear way because there was not the distractions. No social media, no one. I learned the value of human connection and the value of the human spirit. I mean, I love the women I met in prison, and I'm so um, strengthened by them and their their courage. Um, They loved me and supported me. I I learned people struggle in ways I had no idea, you know, Um, how to break it down into three lessons. I learned the value of simplicity. I learned how to just... Clear my life out of things and material things and junk, and just to simplify my life down. And the beauty of that, um, I learned how loved we all are hmm. by our Father in Heaven. Truly loved. So
1: I want to ask questions about all those things. So here we go. <laughs> and I got to say one other thing. Okay,
0: I learned my worth, you know, and how I think that is so um, ironic that setting in a prison cell with nothing, losing my title as a mother, a woman, a real estate a photographer, anything else. And having nothing, turning to the Savior, I learned how completely valuable I am and what my potential is in that circumstance. So, anyway,
1: the idea you. of uh, accountability or ownership isn't super popular in <laughs> society, <laughs> right? Right? It's it's those fault. It's that fault. It's yeah. You know, those parents. It's this. You yeah. know, I could other people think could,
0: this I, of me. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: I can't possibly do you've mentioned a couple of times in the in the time that we've been talking about this uh get honest mm-hmm. sort of idea and and i think about like how it applies to me and sort of walk it out for anyone that might be listening to it and and i feel like there's an element that we're all able to do of getting honest and maybe not maybe there's some people who can't do that at all but there seems to be a chasm between the getting honest about yourself and then actually doing anything about that honesty yeah. which you've arrived at how how would you walk people or bridge that chasm
0: okay so I would say that Life is backwards. Like, I spent my life thinking that I wanted to convince everyone I was a good person, but power comes in really owning and recognizing your weaknesses. Hmm. And so if you can make a, a good inventory of where you're at, what your strengths and weaknesses are, and recognize—and especially, you know, for me, I really—I actually made a spreadsheet hmm. <laughs> and made lists of the people I had hurt and how I, you know— um, my kids individually my community where my integrity lacked my the way you know the lack of humility judgments i i read a lot of really good books about business and and how businesses fail and i applied that to my own personal life and mm-hmm. i could see that if i can just own this and i will tell you the truth the majority of people in prison that are there for white collar crimes don't do it but the people that are poor that came from nothing are so much more able to own their conviction and recognize, I did those things. That's why I'm here. Hmm. I deserved it. And hmm. I learned a lot from them. Um, but there's power in that. There's power to change when you can really own. It's really painful. I mean, yeah. that's why people that's why don't I do think, it. I was just going to say, <laughs> that
1: is why we avoid it as, as much as we possibly can. Yeah, it's can. super
0: painful. But don't you know, there's so much growth in it. There's so much power in it. I mean, if you really want to change your life, it's not what anyone else is doing to you. It's your own It's your own mistakes that are holding you back, you know. Hmm.
1: Hmm. You also uh, talked about the value of connection. And I think certainly as we think of community, whether that be um, those people that live in our geographical area or, you know, certainly when we talk community we think of our church community our wards yeah. and and our stakes and stuff like that the value of connection in a world that is far less connected than even those of your parents or grandparents right. how, how can how can we do that how how can we really be connected not oh that's dave and and sally that yeah. live over there like it real totally connection it totally shocked
0: me to come home <laughs> I was just like, are you kidding me? My neighbors, I don't even know what they're going through. Like, mm-hmm. I wanted to go say, how are you? What's going on? You know, I wanted to hear their hardships. Mm-hmm. I don't want to always see the perfect family picture. I mean, I don't have a perfect family. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if everyone else is, and I feel really excluded. So for me, yeah, I... I talk about, you know, I just, I posted on social media recently that I was sitting in church, that I felt such a powerful spirit of love, and then I watched the primary children get up, and I felt, you know, I remembered my own daughter who doesn't go to church right now, Mm -hmm. and but then I felt this love and tenderness that the Savior has for her, and I remembered myself at that age, and I thought... You know, my story wasn't written then, and neither is hers. Mm. And I and I prayed to know her the way the Savior does, and it was a powerful experience for me. And I got a lot of um, response to that because I think as mothers, as parents, we all have times with our kids where we look at them and think, "Gosh, I'm worried about him," mm-hmm. and. So I could post every single, you know, oh, this is so great, but it's hard. Life is hard. Coming home from prison was hard. It so I I guess what I would say is it's our struggles that connect us, hmm. not our perfection.
2: Yeah. So
0: being open and willing to be vulnerable yourself, um, I just pray for my neighbors and I pray to care and know and and to be courageous enough to be totally honest, you know, to I talk I've about my experiences when I get up and bear my testimony. I was asked to talk in state conference. I'm just super real about it and people seem to be grateful for that. Mm. You know
1: what was it like uh, on the actuality of getting out of prison? Do they slip a little paper under your cell and say today, or you know how? <laughs> no, how, you how...
0: wait and wait and wait. Yeah. It's like your day. I I think the only thing that would compare with if you have if you're a, a member of the church and you think about your you know coming to earth. I mean that's okay. what it's like. It's like you're leaving this. Place where you guys are all so close and you've been through these hard things together, and you're coming back and you're excited, but it's super scary. Mm-hmm. It's overwhelming and scary. And I had done a lot of work to change my life, and now it was I was so scared. I didn't want to come out, and I was scared of drug use for mm-hmm. sure because that had been such a weakness for me. So I I made a plan to go to meetings and to all of those things, but also I just I knew I just love my kids and I wanted to make things right. And it's taken. I mean, it's been two and a half years, and still. I'm so grateful for the things that I learned in prison. I learned that it's a long game. You know, it's not a short game. Like I didn't, I couldn't come home and expect everyone to be happily ever after. It takes Mm -hmm. time to heal. And so if you can look at it more like a long game, but it's hard. I, at first I just had to go to meetings. I went to a, a therapy group of other people that just got out of prison. That helped a lot. And I would just say they'd all, You know, I'd say, I'm struggling. I don't know about you guys, but I feel broken. I feel alone. I miss prison. And they're all like, I do, too, you know. So that helped. That helped.
1: Is it uh, physically a thing like uh, Chad rolls up and he's waiting outside the door? Yeah, it's
0: it's really amazing because, I mean. Four, you know four and a half years is what how long I was in the federal prison and I'm like this man just dropped me off four and a half years ago he's sitting outside right now waiting for me. Wow! It was just so surreal and beautiful. Like I waiting to hear your name. I can't even tell you what it's like. It's just it's it's incredible. You know hmm. it's incredible. It was like it was overwhelming and. So beautiful. And then when I left, all the girls came running out and cheering me on. Awesome. Yeah. It was like I had so much love for these women, and I knew my future was—I was excited because I'd done the work to have a different future, and I was hopeful— and scared and everything, you know. I felt like I was getting married, like I was so excited to hold my husband's hand, you know, all those uh-huh. things. It was just beautiful. It really was. So. Uh,
1: so being two and a half years, being out, being home, mm-hmm. um what's that like? What's that like today? Obviously, it sounds like you're not doing real estate anymore no. or photography. No, no, no. uh Like what, what is the day-to-day for you now?
0: I do a lot of the same things I did in prison. You know, I get up early. I keep my life simple. Um, I wear the same clothes. So I know that's kind of silly, but it's like I don't need a lot of extras. I learned the value of feeling good about myself and how important my integrity is and how unimportant all those things are. Mm -hmm. Um, I show up in my kids' lives consistently. I keep my word. Um, I love the people I work with. I serve wherever I can. And, um, I talk about my experience. I wrote a book, so that was kind of cool. It's Um, called
1: Living Louder. Uh, by the way, there'll be a link in the show notes where people can click on it to purchase it. So, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of this story, but so much more.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you helped me do the audio version and people love it. So thank you. That was really cool too. Well, (laughs) all I
1: did was edit it and people are able (laughs) to hear.
0: You made me feel comfortable and I was able to share it in a way that I was able to connect. I think it's a, um, I think it's a good story.
1: Well, know? and the the thing that I love about it, and and why you know in particular when this episode comes out, and and to to know of your story, like it, you can't hear your story, and oh, I guess I should say it would be really hard to hear your story and not believe in a savior and redemption and all of the things that the church teaches, right? Like it. it and I know maybe yeah. that's hard.
0: Maybe no, that's it's, hard. It's yeah. sacred. I mean, it's not hard. It's like I, you know, any light that I have is because of my Savior Jesus Christ. I, I know Him. Mm-hmm. You know, I reached out to Him in, in a really m- numerous times. I, I reached out to Him for myself, for my children, for my community in prison, and, and I know Him, and I feel so much gratitude for the love, light, and power that's come into my life, and. Um, That is available to everyone he is working in all of our lives, whether you're a member of the church or not. I've witnessed it. I've seen that love and that power come into people's lives. And um, yeah, if there's one thing I want people to know, there's always hope. Never give up on the people you love, on yourself. I would have never thought prior to going to prison when I was struggling with addiction, after having some success and failing again, after leaving my children and failing so epically that it seemed impossible to climb out of that hole, that my life could be as beautiful as it is today. Hmm. So
1: Well said. There's three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you right now. The first question is, is do you have a calling? And if so, what is it?
0: Do I have a calling in life?
1: Uh, Whatever, However you interpret these questions.
0: Yeah. I think my calling is to be um, a friend, to be a light, and to give people hope.
1: If you could pick a calling, and maybe this is within the church specific, if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick?
0: Um, The prison lady. (laughs) (laughs) I love being with— I don't know. I feel so comfortable when I'm with people that are really struggling. I just, I feel the Savior's love for them. And um, yeah, so I feel like I have a cool calling in the church. I teach 14-year-olds and I get to testify to them, you know, where I've been and how much, what they're going to do to change the world and the hope that I have in them. Um, But I also... People reach out to me all the time. Please do. If you can find me on social media, it's Portia wilcox Louder. If you have a family member that's incarcerated or a friend or anyone going through this, reach out to me. I'll be, I promise I'll get back in touch with you. I write letters to loved ones. I'll send them books, whatever I can do to support people in that because that's a sacred work. I I believe in people. They can change.
1: Well, and and so hard that I know not everyone can do it. And so when you talk about like your particular calling, the ability, the experiences, the life that you have led to this point and can and now are leading. Mm hmm. Like that can be such a tremendous benefit where, you know, I, I have a glimpse of that. I know sort of that, yeah. but I can't share it with such power like you do. And I love that you called yourself the prison lady. <laughs> if, if you haven't purchased the domain yet, buy the prison lady right now. Uh, the final question that we ask everyone, we also ask you to interpret however you may. But the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith?
0: Oh, my favorite part... Of my faith or the church, or How, oh, that's you get to
1: interpret faith. it however oh you'd gosh.
0: like. My favorite part of my faith is that I know Jesus Christ. I know that you can, that there is, um, I know that you can come back from anything. I know I have walked through hell, if you will, and come back, and I know how much he loves this and i know that there's always hope you know if you're serving a life sentence there's hope there's hope for change within inside you there's hope for freedom in this world and i believe in people and i believe in the power of the atonement to change lives hmm. so
1: It's pretty powerful. Portia wilcox louder, author of the book Living Louder. There's a link in the show notes. You can find that. Also, uh, we'll provide a link to your social media. So if someone does have a loved one, uh, they don't know how or or what to do, uh, they can reach out to you there as well. Portia, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of... The Cultural Hall.
2: Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on
0: the back row. We really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.